Welcome to the Center for a New American Securities NATSEC Women podcast series. Last year, we started a project on getting new audiences to think and talk about issues of gender, inclusivity, and national security. Schedule an event with gender in the title, and you can guarantee it is 95% women talking to other women in the audience about women's issues. So we tried other ways. Some audiences were receptive. Some weren't. Some were frustrated we were making a big deal out of a topic they thought was closed. Asked and answered, move on. But among the women we know, it didn't feel nearly as clear-cut. So we're bringing you right to the source one-on-one candid conversations with women in national security about their careers, their experience, their advice, and their lessons. Here's their stories. Hi, I'm Lauren Shulman with the Center for New American Security National Security Podcast. I am the Deputy Director of Studies here, and I am incredibly excited to have as our guest, Alice Friend, who has been a longtime friend of the show uh, and an amazing colleague and partner over the last several years. Alice, can you tell us a little about your amazing career of choose your adventure in national security? Sure. Um, So I came to Washington I think 14 years ago now to start my master's degree. Um, And after I got out of that, I landed at a little think tank called CSIS, where I was a glorified intern turned into research consultant, um, where I met Michelle Flournoy, uh, who uh, shortly thereafter uh, came uh, over or started CNAS uh, with Kurt Campbell, and she took me with her to be her research assistant. And the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, We started up CNAS and had a fantastic time for two years. And then when President Obama was elected president, um, he selected Michelle to be his undersecretary of defense for policy. And she took me with her as her special assistant. And I then spent five and a half years at the Pentagon doing a variety of different jobs in the policy shop, um, which is where Lauren and I met. Um, And my last job in government was as principal director for African affairs, where I got to do a lot of management, which is uh, really fun, um, and also a lot of civil-military relations, which is my academic interest, uh, which leads me to the reason I left government, which was to go get a PhD uh, in international relations at American University. And now I am a senior fellow at CSIS again, and also an adjunct senior fellow here at CNAS, embracing my think tank origins, um, and really excited to be here with you all. So you have had some of the most amazing female bosses in national security between Michelle Indeed. Flournoy, Kath Hicks, uh, I, mean, I could run through a dozen Amanda Dory. Amanda Dory, you're incredibly lucky. So because of that, people are probably seeking you out for advice a lot. Um, and a question that many of us often get is how do you deal with or what is it like to be a woman na- working in national security? How do you answer this question? So this is something I was fortunate enough not to think about very much until recently because I worked for these incredible women, and I did not realize the extent to which they shielded me um, from, I think, a lot of the things that they had gone through themselves in their early career and the things that many of my contemporaries have gone through and are going through. Um, And it actually took me going, well, two things, going into academia, where security studies is still very uh, masculine and gendered, And typically, if you are a woman in security studies, you're either really swimming upstream or you tend to study gender and security studies. Um, 
and then also um, about a year ago I had uh, twin boys and um, being pregnant uh, if you were not radicalized before as a feminist <laughs> and you were ever going to be in your life I think pregnancy will do it to you um, and so this opened my eyes to all kinds of issues but uh, in particular professional ones um, to be a woman in the national security space was suddenly very real to me because it was so obvious that I was female, right? I mean, <laughs> Can't escape it. Uh, and it was the first time I'd had these like hilariously awkward conversations with male colleagues. Um, and it also really separated uh, the men who had children from the men who didn't have children and the men who had thought about their roles as parents vis-a-vis -vis their wives and what that meant for their own work-life balance, um, but also what it meant for their wives' own career trajectories um, or partners' career trajectories. Um, so at any rate, it made me think about all these things and you know, really hit me between the eyes for the first time in this career where I'd been blessed to work for Michelle Flournoy and Kathleen Hicks and Amanda Dory and many others. Um, uh, and just not ever notice you know, what my gender was and just do the work. I remember having the same feeling of like, I can just be the sort of anonymous kid sister, kid brother for years and then suddenly I'm six months pre pregnant in the White House Situation Room and I think I might throw up on the chairman. <laughs> how do I deal with this situation? Yes, precisely. Right. Like, how, how do I gracefully exit here in this moment and just still be seen as a professional? But um, that is a fascinating response. I think a lot of people have that experience. Uh, so when we did this survey, uh, we talked to a lot of women who work in different fields in national security, in the academic world, think tanks, uh, in the military, in government itself, in the intelligence community. And one of the things we asked them was, what do they want to be asked uh, regarding women in national security? And you posed a question that I thought was quite good, given that everyone does have these very different experiences. Uh, you said, how can we build more solidarity across traditional D.C. tribal lines? And that's such a great way of putting it between agencies, parties, civil military, etc. Because I think that people outside of Washington and even some inside Washington don't realize how really distinct those cultures are. Mm. Yeah. I Again, going into academia, um, real academia, you know, getting your Ph.D. as opposed to getting a master's degree. Um, really opened my eyes to that as well because I think living in OSD in this very woman-friendly environment where there are lots and lots of female leaders and lots of women at every level of, of that organization makes it sort of easy to forget that women in different parts of the national security architecture are having different experiences and are in different cultures. Um, and so crossing over into academia where indeed women who do security are living in a very different culture than I just lived through five years of OSD um, and then, of course, all the issues we've seen around um, women's integration into the military, sexual assault in the military, um, how to retain women, um, all of that has also made me think in particular I'd really like to build these solidarity lines with, with women who are in uniform um, between them and between those of us who are civilian non-veterans. Um, and, you know, my answer to that question was more of a question. It was, how do we do this? And I have to think about it more. But I think it's really important, especially in this polarized era. I think, you know, women can build bridges to each other um, that can sort of have these ripple effects into other areas where we need to build connections instead of cutting ourselves off from each other. 
So I've been thinking about this a lot lately of you know, the advice that I would go back and give myself when I was you know, 24 entering the national security field about how, how would I, what advice would I give to myself? How would I change my behavior? Uh, what paths might I take that were different? And I haven't come up with a good answer. So I'm, I'm very curious to hear you, you started in national security around the same time I did. What advice would you give to yourself about being a woman in national security if you could? Um, it's so hard to take, but I would say stop second guessing yourself all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot about the advice that women should be more like men, uh, in particular that uh, women should have a little bit more self-confidence. Um, I do think sometimes saying you should be more like men is unfair. Perhaps men should be more like women. Um, but in the, in the sort of natural, or perhaps not natural, but socialized self-confidence sense, um, I see a lot of young women, and certainly this was true of myself, holding back. I don't want to say anything until I'm 120% sure that this is the right thing to say. I don't want to give that interview because I might say something slightly wrong or sound awkward. Um, you know, shying away from doing media appearances, shying away from taking the lead, not, you know, not sitting at the table, not leaning in. Um, and I think I would go back and say to my younger self uh, to just dive in that nobody knows everything. Um, certainly many of your male colleagues, you know, are as knowledgeable or even less knowledgeable than you about some things and don't feel uh, constrained by your imperfections, I guess, because all humans are imperfect. Um, and to continue to hold back means that you are going to fall behind. Um, and so I don't know if other women feel this way, but I often feel like I'm always catching up because I didn't let myself start sooner, mm -hmm. that I was, I was the protege for a very long time and I sort of hid. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I'm doing at this juncture in my career is, is not letting myself hide even when I really want to. <laughs> even when I have a day when I'd much rather hide under the desk right. than do the, the you know, interview uh, on, the on camera. Is, yep. um, Go on TV. So that, that's what I would tell 24-year-old Alice. So when we started this project with the Compton Foundation, one of the premises was getting people besides you know, a bunch of women in a room to talk about gender and national security, and which is sort of funny because this is what we're doing right now. It's two women in a room talking about gender and national security. But we're hopeful that we can bring some of this to other audiences, uh, including our male colleagues. Uh, but in that vein, you know, we have been talking a lot about like what women can do to advance their own careers. What is it that men can do to be better partners to us in that, other than just you know not being assholes a lot of the time? Oh my gosh! So I have to tell the story. I was just at this conference, which will remain unnamed, um, over this past weekend. That was a wonderful, great conference. It was substantively fantastic. It was organized really well. It was just the right size. But it was also one of the rare times in my career when not only was I one of the very few women in the room, I was one of the very few women in the room. There were three women there in person. Uh, and one woman was able to join remotely for a little bit of it. And it was, I think, 25 men. Um, and, you know, that's already a little odd. But then on top of that, the culture in the room was very jocular. And there was lots of sexual innuendo. And there was lots of, uh, you know sort of male competitiveness that was very masculinized. It wasn't just that they were being competitive. Um, and I felt like I had to assimilate into that culture in order to participate. And it was exhausting, right? And the truth is when I think about it, there were really only four or five men that were actually making that be the atmosphere. 
And it was just that all the other men were doing what I was doing, which was they were just playing along. They were laughing nervously at the sexist jokes. Um, they weren't saying anything. And I, of course, as one of the few women in the room and also um, one of the youngest people there, um, because it's mostly for folks who aren't grad students, um, I didn't feel like I could say anything without them totally missing the message, right? And just seeing my youth or my grad studentness um, and and not reflecting on it. But one of the other men there absolutely could have said something and pushed back and changed the atmosphere, but they didn't. Um, and so it made me think about the situations that, you know, I'm a white woman and, you know, I have been in situations where I'm sure people of color felt the way that I felt at that conference and I didn't do anything. And so it made me realize that I need to take responsibility for that. And it made me hope that my male colleagues, like Phil Carter here, who, you know, co-wrote this great report that you guys just released, who says, you know, this is our issue too. This is an issue for men as well as for women. We can't let these things be um, a woman's issue. I was in Japan once and we had this panel of business leaders and they brought in a woman to talk to the women about women's issues. And every time I asked a question of these CEOs about how they were handling integrating women as part of womenomics, right, into their companies, they'd look at this poor woman. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's not like we're all that different in the United States all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I just hope... And I, I'm trying to think of ways that I can encourage and enable um, male allies to push back at, you know, these cultures of jocularity and these cultures that I don't think, I think where we're at now most of the time when women feel excluded or are excluded, it's not conscious. Mm -hmm. I think it's just that they've been socialized to behave this way and this is how they show status. And they just have to figure out another way to do it. And I think they need other men to help them change it. There's a really great Nadia Shadlow uh, piece from War on the Rocks a couple of years ago where she talks about you know the advice that she would give to women working in national security is to memorize movie lines. Oh yeah, I saw that. That was wonderful. And at first, like I went through this like, <laughs> seven stages of grief about this piece because at first I thought I was like furious about it. I was like, no, the way that you get in national security is to be competent. But right. then I realized like there's this there's this element of like learning to speak the language and movie lines is actually a, a fairly, I would say, neutral and benign way of speaking the same language rather than the as you talk about that, like the jocularity, the I remember being in a, a DOD meeting where an extremely senior person sitting at the head of the table was repeatedly saying, Well, they'll just blow their load. Over and over again. <laughs> and he was clearly just meaning yep. it sort of as a naval term, or he didn't really know what it meant. But finally, as you point out, Alice, one of the other men in the room said to him, Sir, do you know what that means in front of everybody? Right. And he was like, Yeah, it means like, you know, do the thing too soon. And <laughs> the guy said, Well, yes. Right. <laughs> Let me explain further. Oh, and you gosh. could just see his face just be so humiliated and yeah. like realize like he was just sort of speaking without thinking um, in you know, language that made sense in his head. But when he realized what he was actually saying was like actually ridiculously offensive and insane. Um, but like I, I have still not come, quite come to grips with the, the Nadia's piece on like, women needing to memorize movie lines in order to be accepted. Because I, I feel like there's an element of truth to that. But I'm also still frustrated by the fact that like in order to find common language, we must all watch The Simpsons over and over again. I guess or Top Gun, actually. Right, or Top Gun. <laughs> or Star Wars. Those are the two. Yeah, which I guess is probably better than 
than any number of other things we could be asked to do, but we'll see. Um, Alice, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us in this podcast. If I could invite you back again, I would, but that would be kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks so much for You'll have more me. experiences, I'm sure, and we can go back and discuss, but thank you so much. It was great. Thanks. Awesome.